This is Andrew Hall. You're listening to Dead Hand Radio, a podcast about the Cold War, its history, and the effects it had on our culture, technology, and the future of our world. Occasionally, I go off topic and explore topics in other areas like esoteric knowledge, secret societies, the paranormal, and UFOs, also known as Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, or UAP. My guest today is UFO investigator Shane Hurd. Shane is a veteran UFO investigator who serves as the assistant state director for Arizona's chapter of the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON. I first encountered Shane during a presentation he gave on YouTube about investigating UFOs. His approach to the topic and his demeanor in general are serious and no-nonsense. He seems passionate about his role as an investigator and researcher of the UFO UAP phenomena. And as a MUFON member, he seems sincerely concerned with helping witnesses discover the truth about what they're seeing in the skies. One of the areas Shane mentioned in his presentation was a topic that has become quite fascinating to me in recent months, and that's why I invited him on to join me for a discussion. This episode of Dead Hand Radio will cover several areas of ufology, including how to get started as a researcher and how to properly investigate these phenomena. And then we get into some UFOs and nuclear weapons and try to determine what connection they have. Hi, Shane. Welcome to Dead Hand Radio. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. Well, the pleasure is mine, man. I appreciate you coming in here. Um, and the way I usually start to show off is with a little bit of background about each guest. So if you don't mind, could we get into your origin story a little bit? Yeah, sure. I, uh, um, I guess my background is I've enjoyed a 20-year uh, career in government. I've uh, been in the field of civil engineering and information technology and geographic information systems. And, um, you know, my interest in UFOs really began, I would have to say, I always had a mild interest, but did nothing with it. But uh, as a resident of Phoenix in 1997, when the uh, Phoenix light incident happened, though I didn't see anything, uh, the reaction of everyone, everything caught my attention. It was like, wow, this cool thing happened in my backyard. And so it kind of sparked my interest. And then, uh, you know, I went from there and, um, you know, casually kind of followed it, watched TV shows like the UFO files and stuff that was around in the early 2000s. And, but it really wasn't until like 2010 where I really kind of went, ran with this, you know, and I, I, I had read, uh, I decided, you know, I was going to read some books on it. And the first one I happened upon was um, uh, the, um, what was it? The Day After Roswell. And that was by uh, Bill Burns and uh, Philip J. Corso. And after having read it, I was a little skeptical because um, I thought some of the information was believable and some of it was, you know, a little, little sketchy. But uh, I decided, well, I'm not going to, you know, base all this on one book. So I read another one. And that was um, UFOs, generals, pilots, and government officials go on the record by Leslie Keene. And 
boy, that was an impressive book. And I, I highly recommend anyone getting interested in UFOs to, to read that book first. I mean, she's an investigative journalist and the, the yeah. style of the writing and the fact checking was amazing. And then I, uh, Richard Dolan is another guy that, um, you know, really impressed me. He, I think he really is like a Cold War historian himself. I yeah. think he specialized in um, Russia. And, you know, he's an academician, but uh, he got interested in this topic. And he wrote two volumes called UFOs and the National Security State, which were awesome. And in fact, after reading those, that pretty much solidified my um, view that there was uh, definitely a reality to this topic. And I really began to go at it hard from there. Read, you know, hundreds of books, probably and videos and documentaries. And then I felt like, well, you know, now I've got all this information. What am I going to do with it? You know, I kind of wanted to play. I wanted to engage, you know, contribute. And I looked around and I saw MUFON as an organization, the Mutual UFO Network, where you could join, you could, uh, you know, get information directly to you. Uh, from them, and then uh, ultimately you could participate by being a field investigator. And so I went through the training and the testing for that, and and uh, became a field investigator. And that's you know just something I absolutely love, and have been doing that for a few years now. And um, and then most recently I was um, uh, appointed assistant state director of Arizona MUFON. So it's been a wild ride and. You know, and to top it off, I, I recently wrote a book uh, on, on UAP and investigations and stuff. So um, just that that's how I got here. And, and I'm absolutely loving it. That's awesome. Good, good story. Um, so, uh, I mean, a lot of the things that your journey has uh, consisted of is kind of where my journey is, but I'm at the very beginning stages, honestly. Uh, I've watched a lot of videos, movies, anything to do with UFOs, I'll watch it on TV, but I've never researched it, never dug in and and did serious research on it until, well, until I started my podcast, actually. Once I started the podcast and I started to um, look at some other podcasts like unknown and um, a lot of the stuff that rogue planet is doing. So those guys, and then I watched all of Jeremy Corbell's movies and Oh yeah. His movies are just super interesting. Yeah. He's so creative. Yeah, I agree. And then, um, well, I saw what TTSA was doing in, in 2017 and I wasn't uh, that excited about it at the beginning, but it seems like things, things are starting to heat up even more now. And um, so all the things that are being talked about now has just kind of piqued my interest. So I attended a MUFON meeting last week, last month with the uh, Las Vegas chapter. They found it pretty interesting going through the statistics and um, hearing some of the stories. And then uh, um, I'm just, I, I, I feel that tug, you know, it's, it's something that is really compelling me. And the, the amount of research, the amount of reading 
I've been doing on this topic for the last few weeks uh, is like nothing else. It's like, it's like something that I, I have to consume, but there's so uh, much, uh-huh. it's hard to find a direction. So that's why I kind of chose, you know, I'm going to look into the nukes and UFO connection from, you know, mm-hmm. from that aspect. Cause that's really where my interest is. Yeah. It goes hand in hand with cold war for sure. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting. You, you, you're kind of like me oh, yeah. <laughs> 10 years ago, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, the, and the book I wrote is exactly was motivated by two of the things you mentioned is, is one TTSA and bringing the issue into the mainstream and getting positive coverage and the taboo sort of being lifted off of uh, the fact that you can be interested in this and not thought to be, you know, uh, crazy. Um, But then my, my motivation was new people, people who are newly interested now are going to begin to start to research and get involved. And when I did that back then, you know, uh, it took a while, you know, I, I, went down a couple rabbit holes I didn't need to go down to. And it was kind of confusing. You, you have, you know, good information, you have bad information, you, know, you have a lot of fake stuff, you have the pop culture side, but then, you know, you really have a deep scientific side to it, highly credible. And it took me quite a while to sift through all the chaff basically to get to the wheat. And so that's why I, you know, I've written this book is to help someone like that in that position. So they don't, you know, go down the wrong path and, you know, it can just, you know, go from point A to B as directly as possible. So um, I, I love hearing that. Yeah. That's a smart approach that you took and it's going to be extremely helpful for, like you said, um, I, I think that there are going to be a, a, a big, especially with the, the news that's coming out um, about the potential crash retrieval story uh that, that that's a bit controversial right now but if that comes out there's going to be a huge surge in new interest and i think there's also going to be a, a i think there's also going to be a big surge in new interest once the uh the bill if the bill passes uh that's in congress right now which i'm sure you're aware of that right yeah, yeah, I I agree, and and that's that's again a product of what TTSA has been able to do and getting the story to move forward. And I know we'll talk more about it, but that's really directly led to Congress taking some action or showing some interest. And that really has not happened since 1968. I mean, it's literally the faucet has been turned off since that time, and the government has really given nothing until you know, this stuff broke in 2017. So but it is a fascinating time. And if, if you've got the slightest interest, boy, now is the time to dig in because, you know, I, I kind of tell people, hold on to your butts because <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, it's starting to get that crazy. It is. And it seems every day there's new information coming out. It's hard to keep up with all the new information that that's continuing to filter into the to the um to the stream of information that's available um 
So uh, let, we'll take a little bit of a step back because I, I do want to dig into talking more about your book and the investigative process, but I have a couple other questions uh, about your um, about your journey as, you know, from getting an interest in the topic to become an investigator and then to where you're at today. So the, um, as, as a new investigator, you, you went through the, the training that they offered. Is that a, a very rigorous training? Yeah. So the way it works for, for, um, well, there's, uh, several pieces. So to start with, uh, you become a member. And then if you're interested in investigating, and they they are glad to have you, you know, it's a volunteer organization. Um, but yes, you, uh, you purchase a, a the actual investigator manual, you know, 100, 200 page manual, that covers everything from A to Z, you know, like, uh, you know, obviously how to interview people, um, you know, resources for um, kind of like a process of elimination of, of prosaic things, you know, you check with the military and, um, you know, law enforcement and, you know, the meteorological society or, or you know, uh, the astronomical society. I mean, there's just a list of 40 or 50 things that you go through in a case to, you know, to, to develop it. And then, um, once you once you get familiar with the manual, uh, you you take a, a written test, and upon successfully passing that test, then you go through a background check, and then once you do that, you're assigned your credentials, and then you're also assigned to a local chapter that uh, where you reside, and that that local chapter, then you become affiliated with that, and that the director of that, that chapter then assigns, um, you know, more experienced, uh, investigators to train you. And so, for example, I think I did six or eight cases with, as a trainee, uh, with, with the, the experienced investigator I was working with. And then once they feel like you've got a handle on things, then they turn you over to having your own cases. Um, however, you know, you always have lots of help, uh, this is one thing I'm really impressed with, with MUFON. And again, a volunteer organization, people are not paid yet. It's extremely professional. They have great guidelines, training, uh, support. So like as a new field investigator, I, I would always have other investigators available to assist, but then there's the chief investigator who's responsible for ultimately approving all of the cases and you get a lot of direction and support there in, in our case it's Dennis Framermith um, and then the director Stacy um, Wright can you know she'll assign uh, those cases to you and you always provide you support and help or the assistant director like myself I train a lot of the investigators now uh, we also have a thing called MUFON University and it's classes that you can take online that you know, they're about astronomy, they're, they're, you know, about military operations, or, you know, just everything you can think of, I mean, it's really, really well done. And so um, I would encourage anyone that's interested to, to look into it, because, um, as I said, even though it's a volunteer 
organization, you really get a lot, a lot of good direction and support, which, you know, sometimes when you lack that, you can feel a little bit left alone on an island. But again, I, I've, I know I've had great support. And then that gives you confidence as an investigator as well. Uh-huh. Well, it sounds to me like even somebody who's not interested in doing field investigation, it sounds like there's a wealth of information for people who are interested in the topic and want to research the information yeah, that's available. Absolutely. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't aware of that. I yeah. thought MUFON was just uh, uh, answered calls to um, reports of UFO sightings. That's that's really what my understanding was. Oh, no, no. Each case is investigated. So, so a person can call in, they've had an experience or an encounter, and they uh, can go on MUFON.com and uh, submit a report. And this, this report has like 200 fields in it, you know, in this case management system where, and you're obviously going to get, you know, personal information, but you know, that's protected. No one ever sees that. You can choose whether to be anonymous or not, you know, um, and then it asks you lots of questions about your experience or your sighting and even down to the granular level of, Hey, what did you see and uh, what was its shape and what was it color and did it make noise and blow, you know, just a whole bunch of stuff like that. And so it's very comprehensive. And then that's the basis for the investigation. And then the investigator, once they receive the assignment, they contact the reporting person and schedules an actual interview, which can be done, you know, over the phone or uh, in person, depending on the complexity of the case, all cases are triaged and assigned a, a basically a category, a one, two, or three, you know, one being more simple, two, more complex, and three, very, very complex, like maybe an abduction or something. And so, um, uh, and again, as you gain experience, um, you know, you'll move on to some of the more complex cases as, as an investigator, but, and then that a thorough investigation based on the witness testimony and all the facets of, of, uh, evidence that you're able to accumulate through your investigation. And then ultimately you come up with a, a disposition. And so things like, Hey, this is an IFO, an identified flying object, and it might be man-made or it might be, uh, you know, natural. Um, and then, you know, of course, ultimately you may have an, a genuine unknown uh, as a result of that investigation. And so, you know, we weren't there when it happened. We, you know, so when you, you have to take that into account that um, this is our best estimate of what this was based on the evidence that we have. And so some cases you have a lot of evidence and some you have very little evidence. And so it's this constant method of eliminating possibilities and coming down with, with you know, the most um, obvious or explainable way for um, to identify what was seen. So, I mean, it's really a fun process. It's interesting. Um, and, you know, I, I almost, it's like doing a puzzle in a way, if you're a puzzle person, that's kind of what it's like and, and the investigation side. And then finally, I'll just say that the other part I love about it is the people. You know, I always say U, UFOs is really about people and our response to the phenomena. And, you know, some people are excited and thrilled and interested. And, and then some people are actually traumatized and, and seriously disturbed. So you got to have, you know, 
treat people with dignity and respect and you have to be sensitive to them. And, um, you know, I, I really enjoy that. I mean, that just, that's kind of the person I am in the first place. So I, I really enjoy the people side of it, but the, the investigative and technical side is equally fascinating. That's great. Well, I'm glad, glad you brought that up about the people side of things because yeah, these are people they've experienced something that they don't understand. A lot of times that's at the minimum disorienting. Like you said, some people are excited. Some people are terrified because they don't know what they saw. Uh, you're there not to judge them, not to ridicule them, but to help them work their work through this. Uh, I mean, if, if somebody is so traumatized that they need professional help, do you guys recommend that? Well, actually there's a branch there's a branch of of MUFON called the Experiencer Research Team ERT and what happens is if we get a report um, that is an abduction or a contact experience um, we, we see it as two things if there's a UF in, UFO involved then the investigator investigates the UFO part of it and really the entire encounter but the concern lies on identification of, you know, what this is based on that evidence. However, that's only one part of the puzzle in their case. The other part is the abduction part. And so we have a team led by Kathy Marsden, who uh, is actually the niece of, of uh, Betty Hill from the 1961 abduction case uh, that happened in New, New Hampshire. And she's, she's uh, been a school teacher and, and um, also, dealt with the psychology of this and has, has really written some great books on, on abductees and the experiences that they have. And, and, and so they, they have a program that that person we can put into that program who helps them. Now we don't provide like a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a therapist or doc medical doctors or anything directly, but we, we refer them to uh, those professionals who do handle people have had these experiences um, and we can also connect them with um, groups who uh, of other experiencers who you know it can be extremely helpful for them to you know share their experience with someone who's had the same or similar experience right and so that can really help them with the, the trauma side of it um, so that's and that that's become you know a really important part of MUFON you know of late and so um, those folks are doing a great job. And again, we, we have professionals all over the country that, that can assist. Okay. So you guys are networked with professionals from different areas of the, the medical and, and mental health industry that can provide services specified or, or that are particularly um, uh, dedicated to help those kind of people, those people that have had those, those strange experiences. Yep. Exactly. Okay. okay. That's makes sense. Uh, so you don't have doctors and psychiatrists going out to do field investigations. Uh, no, the the no. field investigators go out and they investigate or do a preliminary analysis of the situation. They make a recommendation to some, a, a professional. Yep. Okay. Yep, exactly. Okay. That so sounds, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So um, I'm glad you brought up alien abductions, or I'm sorry, 
I'm glad you brought up abductions. I'm not going to use the term. I'm going to try to avoid the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> term alien because we don't really know. Um, but uh, you guys do um, investigate abduction experiences. And uh, have you, without giving any names or particulars to any specific case, have you been involved in any abduction experiences? Yeah, absolutely. I, I have. Uh, I've I've investigated, you know, around 80 cases and probably out of those 80, I've got four or five um, that were maybe a few more uh, abduction cases. And um, they are very interesting. They're very challenging. Um, and again, I'm, I'm really speaking from the people side of it, you know, um, and some, some have been so strange that I just, it's even hard for me to explain the, the case and it's some really out there stuff. And then others are a little, you know, less, less dramatic than that. But, um, you know, we, we do study those, we investigate those and, and, you know, it's, it's a part of the phenomena that you can't ignore. That's a good point. Uh, because a lot of people do tend to gloss over that part of it uh, be, because of how weird it is. I mean, you see lights in the sky or even an unidentified craft. And, and that's something that you can almost explain away or, or, you know, you can learn to live with that. But an abduction yeah. case, that's a different level of weird, in my opinion. And I don't, mean weird in a derogatory way i mean weird in a strange un unexplainable yeah. way um no i totally agree that's that is whole nother level <laughs> yeah yeah uh i would actually be really interested in talking with somebody if they would be willing to go um on, on the record and share their experience even if it was anonymous because I, I, yeah. that, that's a, an area that's, I mean, it's so weird. It's, it's almost unbelievable, but I'm not mm -hmm. interested in judging people, whether they're telling the truth or not, but I, I would be fascinated to hear the experiences. Uh, is there, is there anything, yeah, no kidding. are there any experiences that you can share that have kind of blown your mind? Oh yeah. Um, <clears throat> One, the, the strangest case ever um, was related to uh, a woman who was, um, you know, mm -hmm. very successful career, uh, career person. And, and she had, um, she was involved with a, a, a man who both of them, I think, were involved in like the healing arts and also some other stuff that ends up being really kind of the scary stuff like voodoo and some other things let's just put it that way and um they she ended up um having experiences where she felt that she had been you know raped and she reported it to the police and the police took police reports uh she went to court she got uh you know uh uh, restraining order against uh, this particular individual and um, they 
we're engaged in just you know some really interesting things i i gotta be careful how much i say um but you know there there was credibility w with the case there were also you know marks on the body there were um you know of course there's the the police report the the um the court case and then uh on top of that there was medical evidence and reports and so it had had credible you know facets to it but it was just such a weird thing and a strange thing and you know she felt that he was a shapeshifter uh, a, a reptilian and that he would go, come from you know human and then take this other form and that's when you know the rape occurred and i mean it was just so so out there and again i'm glossing over a lot of the detail but um you know again a credible fairly credible person with some incredible information and to you know to this day i, I just I, I can't even hardly put it into words just how strange that it was but what that did for me though is is kind of appreciate that you know people that are having these experiences they have good reason to be traumatized you know if if this is what's really happening you know some of it is very scary now i need to qualify that as well because there are a lot of experiencers who have positive experiences so there's both positive and negative and you know why i don't know but it, it just it is that way so i, I don't want to offend anyone or or you know anyone that for me to just say it's all bad it isn't true and some people you know have, have positive experiences so uh but regardless it is super weird i mean you know it's nothing that most people ever encounter in their entire lives and and even rarely hear about it but you know being in the business sort of so to speak um it's actually so common you wouldn't believe it how many people literally millions millions and millions of people earthwide have had these experiences or continue to have them and it it's um you know on one level it's disturbs disturbing and on another level it's it's fascinating ryan sprague wrote an awesome book called somewhere in the skies and what he literally did is he interviewed dozens of um abductees or experiencers and contactees and i mean the level of detail they were willing to tell him and he was able to put in the book is mind-blowing it changed my whole view i first kind of dismissed it as crazy people and then you know after reading his book i realized you know this is not just you know you do have your occasional crazy person but you know not not everyone and certainly some of these people are prominent in society and i mean it's a, that would be a great book for you to to take that dive on I'll do that because I've heard of that book. I, I listened to his podcast also. Um, what is the most compelling evidence that you've personally encountered that has like really convinced you that this phenomena is real? Ooh, good question. Oh boy. Well, uh, I, I would have to say this. It's not a single piece of evidence that did it for me it's a compilation of the mountains of evidence that um convinces me and so 
but you know, let me explain just a little. So to me, you, you have, when it comes to a case or, you know, an incident or, or an experience and, and investigating it or just researching or just being aware of it, there's kind of three pillars of evidence that, that you, you get. Okay. So the first is absolutely eyewitness testimony. And that is the foundation of any experience. And, and why it's so important is obviously this is how you know what happened, when it happened, where it happened, all of the details, but most importantly, the context of what was, was happening at that time. And so um, that is really the foundation. And then I will say, we kind of mentioned it earlier about credibility. Now, credibility of an eyewitness is, is, is a difficult thing, but you have, to, you have to admit that it's a factor, right? And that being the case, let me just give you a few examples. Like if, if you had a very trusted friend or family member, you know, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, something like that, someone who you're super familiar with, you, you know what they're thinking just by the look on their face. Well, if they came and said, hey, the, you know, I saw this or that, you're going to likely believe them because you know them that well, that you know their level of credibility. Or it may be, maybe it's a little sibling and they like to tell stories and then maybe you would doubt it. I don't know, but that's kind of one category. But then credibility can come from, you know, like who you are in terms of your career or, you know, your expertise. So like, you know, a police officer or a military member or a pilot, uh, or I'll even say a government official. Now, it's because of their technical acumen, but in the case of a government official, I would say it's not their technical acumen, but it's they have too much to lose by making a report. So if they're doing it, you, you, you can bet they, they're not making a glib report. They're, they really, really mean it. So, um, so you can assess credibility that way as well. Um, but, you know, that's not to say that just your average Joe isn't telling the truth or, and it doesn't even mean that, you know, this police officer or this pilot is, is, you know, entirely credible. And you know what I mean? But they're just, it's factors in the overall process that you, you consider. And then the last thing um, for me, well, the second pillar really would be trace evidence if you can get it. And that's rarer because frankly, most reports are about somebody seeing something as opposed to something crashing, right? But there are cases out there, and we may talk about a few, where there is physical evidence. And what I mean by that is, you know, it could be um, broken tree branches where something came through the forest canopy and then, you know, burn bark on the trees and then you know holes in the soil or compression marks where something heavy landed on it or you know grass being burnt um or you know animals being affected or even humans you know electrical effects cars that stall out that kind of stuff so if you have the the luxury of getting that evidence it's so super valuable because you know it's something you can apply the scientific method to you can test it and you can you know aggregate the results and and you come to some conclusions so that's really the gold standard if you can get it and then really the third pillar i think would be like uh video photo or radar imagery 
However, I'll, I'll caution that with, you know, because of the availability of computer software and CGI stuff, we know that there's just, there's way more false uh, imagery than there is, is real imagery. But, but that being said, you know, again, through proper investigative tools, uh, you can analyze these photos. You can determine if they're fake or not, but, you know, it takes some effort. And most people will just see stuff on YouTube or whatever and, you know, not take the time or don't know how to, you know, track it down and back search it and all those things. And even if you do, it's pretty hard to, pretty hard to do. So that's why we have an internet just chock full of, of, of you know, false images. But I do think that um, there are good images and especially from a radar perspective, because a radar is a system it's an instrument it's a tool and it's a it's a closed system and you know to even operate you have to be highly trained and it's it's in the hands of you know uh organizations and you know it and so when you get a a, a, a result from that um you, you know you can pretty much take it to bank that it, that it's real so um and I, th I think ultimately, if we ever do find out who this is or what this is, and, you know, I, I think imagery will be a big part of, of verifying that. But standalone, it's not worth anything. You know, you need the eyewitness testimony, you need physical evidence, you need, you know, credible people to bring this forward. So not th the point I'd like to make is just that when it comes to UFOs, there is no silver bullet there's no magical one thing is going to do it it's it's a compilation of many layers of information um that you know ultimately lead to you know an understanding of that there is a phenomena and characteristics of that phenomena we just don't know the big picture we don't know the the who or the why yet but and and again i'll qualify that maybe somebody has you know had an experience and Maybe they were taken on a craft and they were, things were explained to them. And so maybe there's some people who know, but I mean, you know, the public domain, we do not know yet. And, um, you know, we're all waiting for that. And the term for that is disclosure. And people are waiting for particularly the government to come out and, and say, you know, yeah, this is real. And, you know, maybe it'll be the president of the United States coming out and saying it. I doubt it, but you never know. I agree. I, I doubt it. Because, first of all, even if it is disclosed, you're going to have people that are going to pick it apart and use it against whoever brings it out. They're going to they're going to yeah. claim it's fake fake news or whatever, and they're going to try right. to turn it back on the person that brings it out. So I don't see the president, any president, ever coming forward and saying this is what we've got. Um. Yep. Different different parts of the government, I think, may do something like that. But I think um, I think we're a long ways off still. I think we're making uh, very good movement in that direction. But I think we're still a long ways off. Um, and I, that's just my opinion. Like I said, I'm kind of new to all this, but um, I've absorbed a a tremendous amount of information in the short amount of time that I've been really researching it. Okay. So one of the things that I wanted to just interject when you were talking about the credibility of witnesses, um, 
one of the first things that comes to my mind is why would somebody make this up? You know, they know they're going to be ridiculed and made fun of by anybody they tell this to, except for a professional investigator. Yeah. I mean, varying reasons, I imagine. Well, for attention, for one, mental, mental um, instability, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you. Do you have more hoaxes or do you have more credible um, uh, witness accounts? No, great question. And I, I thought this might come up. It's interesting. Um, I've maybe had one or two cases of hoax. And, you know, it seems like this, this, uh, the hoax explanation gets a lot of play and credibility. But when you, you look at investigation statistics, you're talking in the one, two, three percent or something, if that. Um, but I will say hoaxing is, um, you know, it, I, I hate hoaxing. I mean, I'm just going to be blunt about it. I hate hoaxing because, first of all, you think about it, people, uh, I'll speak of myself, you know, I want to know the truth. I want to know what this stuff is. And I'm investing time, money, effort, you know, days of my life trying to find the truth about this, you know, and the last thing I need is some jerk trying to take that experience away from me, you know, to trick me, to cheat me, to deceive me. I mean, that just infuriates me. And, and, and it makes me feel bad for other people who could be victim to this, you know, so hoaxes, that's just such bad news. But in reality, it's a very small part of what, what happens anymore, Ex with the exception, as I said, uh, you know, the video imagery and, and, you know, that really you could explain by things like YouTube and well, let's just take YouTube, right? You can, you can take your cell phone and you can take an image and you can impose a very realistic looking UFO in that thing and then post it on your, your YouTube page, which is probably full of nothing but fake stuff, but it's monetized and right. And the more sensationalistic you are, the more crazy stuff you put out there, the more people look at it, the more they look at it, the more they click at it, and the more you get money. And so that's a motivation uh, for hoaxing as opposed to the old days before there was computers. I mean, you'd, you'd literally have to, you know, take a pie plate, throw it in there, take a picture with your film 35 millimeter camera and, and try and pass that off or just tell a blatant lie story, all of which is easily, um, you know, uh, investigated and, and your your fraudulent nature is uncovered. I mean, so it hoaxing is was harder to do in the past. It's easier to do now, but it seems to be contained more around the area of just posting imagery as opposed to someone formally making a case to move on um, and you know trying to get one over on us or something. That's that's pretty rare. But I, I will say the the thing that um the thing that people probably do not understand or realize is about 85% of cases and reports are identified as some prosaic uh solution like an aircraft or a balloon or or the planet venus and you know i know those are kind of cliched but the reality is is that when somebody sees something they it 
if it's out of context, for example, or if it's something they've never seen or they've rarely seen, um, or you know your frame of mind at the the moment, you can misidentification is is really the single most um, or the largest factor in 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 re reports. Um, so they're not hoaxes, but they're they're people are just you know. Uh, inexperienced at identifying what they're seeing and they're genuinely uh, curious about it. And so uh, it's, I'm not criticizing it at all. I'm, I'm just saying that, you know, that's different than a hoax. It's, it's a misinterpretation of data and for various reasons, which is very different than somebody trying to throw out bad data and claim it, that it's, that it's real. That's a good point that you brought up. Um, so, but it's it's also a relief to hear that the number of of true hoaxes, the the reporting type of hoaxes. I'm not talking about the YouTube stuff. The, the YouTube stuff and the video stuff is a completely different topic. I don't really want to get into that at all. Um, but the the reporting hoaxes, uh, it sounds like what you're saying is that's a very very small percentage of of the cases. Well, and like I said, that's that's a relief to hear that because it's it's a, it tells me that the majority of these cases that are being reported are by credible people, and whether they're misidentified or not, that's those are still credible witnesses. Um, you know, they may they may have misidentified something. That doesn't mean they're lying. Exactly. That that's exactly the point I was trying to make. Good point. Good point. You, you've mentioned a couple of times, we don't really know what these things are, but are you open to speculating and, and giving me what your opinion is? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. And I just, I just make the point that it's only my opinion yeah, sure. <laughs> and I could be wrong. Um, and I, and when I do have my opinion, I reserve the right to change it because like you mentioned earlier, Hey, we get new information every day. So with that qualifier, I will say, uh, it, it's interesting. I've changed. When I first came into this, I was very much what is referred to as a nuts and bolts ufologist. And that's someone who's interested in it because, hey, look, there's this machine, this metal machine right there in the air, and it doesn't have wings and it's just floating and blah, blah, blah. What the heck is that? I mean, that's what I was motivated with first. However, as I gained more experience and gathered more information. And then I began to realize there's more to this than that. So like in the fifties and forties, you know, the thought was, Hey, these were, you know, beings from Mars that flew their flying saucer from Mars to earth. You know, that was really what they thought. And then, you know, later with, uh, once we discovered that the solar system is not, you know, um, populated, then, you know, the thought had to go, well, then they're from other stars and or other galaxies and that. But then the difficulty with that explanation, is if you're talking a physical craft with a, you know, uh, an organic being in it to go those distances, even if they go the speed of light, uh, it just is not really plausible. And then, of course, unless you're talking, you know, wormholes or something like that. So so I was driven by technology. Um, and, and that aspect of it. However, now 
uh, because of the performance of these things and the high strangeness that goes with these things, there, I, there's, there must be something more to it than that. And so some of the popular ideas right now are, uh, for example, multiverses. So there's a thing in physics called string theory, and it, it suggests that there are up to 11 universes. And these universes, you know, look like, act like bubbles. And, you know, at times they'll touch. And where they touch, maybe there's a, an opportunity to transfer, you know, things between those universes. And maybe that's it. So that's one. Or uh, the other is like other dimensional. So, um, and, and I had this illustrated for me. It was really kind of interesting. Uh, so we, we obviously have four dimensions and, you know, our bodies are able to interpret those four dimensions, you know, our eyes, our taste, touch, feel, you know, the way our brain processes, this is our world. This is it. This is what we know. Our physics is based on this. However, if there is a fifth or a sixth or a seventh dimension, you know, what would the impact be? So I had this illustrated for me. It was if you'd laid a piece of paper on the table and you drew a black dot on it and what you have, the white paper is a two dimensional universe, you know, you go forward and backward and left and right. And the dot is, is a two dimensional being. And so he's sitting there. Well, if you or I as a three dimensional being came and stepped on that piece of paper, how would the two dimensional being see it? Well, what they would see is just the shape of our footprint, uh, you know, forward and backward and left and right dimensions. And that's all it would see. It would not see the immense creature standing on top of it because they don't have the dimension for it, or no, nor do they have the ability to perceive that other dimension. And so for us here, maybe, maybe there's a fifth dimension and maybe there are others and they have they're they're further progress than us and they have ability to move in and out of of our dimension so that's another thought when we look at the performance of ufos some of the common things is they can you know appear and then disappear in the blink of eye and appear here and then 60 miles over there it pops in and you know just weird stuff that you know is not terribly explainable with our current physics now the other issue is you know our physics aren't fully developed and there are things we just, you know, there's more that, that we don't know than we know. So um, maybe some of this stuff can get resolved, you know, that way. But the bottom line is uh, what I've learned is, you know, there's more to this than the nuts and bolts and uh, what that is. I don't know. I don't know who they are and I don't know why they're here. Um, and though it's fun to speculate from that perspective, um, you know, to me, it doesn't matter what, what, you know, I'm involved in a work now to try and interpret the data and evidence that we, we do have. And, you know, in time, I think I always say this, it's like the five W's, you know, the who, what, where, when, and why the, the science lies in the, 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 what, the, where, and the when, and you can collect data and you can analyze that data and you can aggregate that data and you come up with patterns and you can make conclusions on that, which is all awesome and necessary. And that's where the science lies. However, we don't know the who and the why yet, but I think if we work hard enough at the who, what, where, and when in time, we're going to get the who and the why. 
Um, but we, we as a society have not, um, because of the taboo placed upon this, you know, the science community has not been able uh, to freely research this and study it and, and again, apply the scientific method to it to the extent that, that it needs to be done. Now, I will say that's changing and there are some brave individual scientists and brave institutions and some universities and others that, that are starting to really look into this and apply some science to it. So again, I think we're in a very exciting time and I think we are going to, you know, pry loose some more information, but it really has to involve the scientific community um, so that we can we can get really actionable data and information from it. Agreed. Exciting time indeed. Well, okay. So you you picked up the the torch um, on investigating the phenomena. Like what was it about ten years ago? Uh, no, actually, uh, since twenty seventeen. Oh, okay. So only three years ago. Okay. Yeah. So the, right about the, the the time where things were starting to become a little more. Uh, more readily accepted, but still yes. there was that stigma at that time. Did you ever experience any blowback? Yeah, I mean you're in a kind of a a visible position where you where you work for the city. Uh, did you yes. have any blowback from your interest in this topic? I amazingly I did not, and I fully expected it because of what you said is, you know, we, there's been this terrible taboo for forever. But I think a couple things, um, you know, helped me. One is that, you know, I, I am, I am an, a skeptical person, but I'm an open-minded person. I mean, I'm logical and I'm reasonable. And, and then, you know, again, I'm a people person. I like people and I show people dignity and respect. And, you know, I'm a coach and, you know, all those things. And, and, you know, I, what I'm saying is, you know, I probably wouldn't get attacked anyway, at least not to my face <laughs> uh, because of those factors. But um, to your point, the thing, the th the taboo has been lifted or not lifted, but is lifting. And, and I think for a couple of reasons, one is that, you know, our nation was, you know, very, uh, let's talk like, you know, thirties, forties and stuff, you know, we're, we're a Christian nation and, and religion plays a huge role in the lives of people. And back then, you know, it was, it really had a lock on, on, uh, the nation's citizens and stuff. But, you know, at, as we got into the eighties, you know, America is a melting pot, people from different cultures, including different religions. And, and, and that it began to, you know, water down that, 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 you know, stranglehold that, that, you know, it had on the nation and, and it forced people to start, you know, thinking out of their box and, and, forced to deal with other people who had different religious ideas and so what i'm saying is it just you know it 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 released some of the taboo in that sense but then i think you had things like the television show ancient aliens and what ancient aliens is about is it's really just it's questioning the orthodoxy of history um which by the way much of history is just really the interpretation of the person recording it. 
you know, and who's to say that person's interpretation is actual, true, and correct, right? And so, and that's kind of their premise. And so I think, you know, a good 10 years of Ancient Aliens, and it's been a very popular program combined with this other, you know, mix of, of you know, cultures and other religious ideas and, and people who are non-religious and scientific. I mean, it's, it's a very well-known fact that, that religion um, is on the decline, has been for, for some time. And so um, I think that also kind of made a little more space to be interested in something different um, and not, not get ridiculed for it as badly. And then the last thing, and I know you're probably going to want to talk about this case, is the TTSA, the To the Stars Academy of Arts and Scientists, is a, is a group of people um, very interesting people who were able to get some declassified UFO videos from the United States Navy. And when they presented that, the media picked up on it, the mainstream media, and they actually treated it quite respectfully for the most part and with interest and with seriousness. And it used to be whenever, you know, there's a news report, they'd play the X-Files theme and everybody would have to giggle and blah, blah, blah. But now it's been, it's been treated you know, seriously, and it's because of the likes of the people that are involved and uh, the credibility of them, and then of course the the Navy's uh, position on it, and and the DoD, and and just some really fascinating stuff is happening. So I think that's another reason why, um, you know, you're at much less risk for being ridiculed. Um, as in the past. And then uh, finally, I'll just say my family's been very supportive and yeah, oh, it's kind of a wacky thing to look into, but now they all go, oh my gosh, uh, you know, having learned more and that's what it's all about is getting the information. And, and then I was shocked uh, at, at the city where I work and, you know, I, I'm a public official and, you know, I, I, I work with, you know, engineers and, you know, people with master's degrees. And I mean, you know, very serious, intellectual, intelligent people. And I kind of braced for a negative impact there. And I found the complete opposite. People were very curious. And so it, it's been, you know, it was refreshing. I, I did fear it, but, but, you know, the other thing is I'm almost 60. I'll be 60 on my next birthday. And you get to a point, I think this is just related to my age where spent my whole life doing what other people wanted and helping and making, you know, doing things that they wanted to do and all, all that stuff. And you kind of reach a point where you're like, you know what, I'm going to do something for myself. And then, and I don't care what anyone thinks. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I do care what people think, but in that, in the context of that, you know, I'm going to do it anyway, because this really interests me. And I really don't care what you think of me from, from that perspective. I know I'm not, crazy. I'm not a fruitcake. I know, you know, I'm, I have good logic and critical thinking ability. And, you know, I have education and training and all those things. So, um, you know, if you want to think it's kooky, well, by all means, that's, that's up to you. That's your opinion. But um, I would just say for anyone that thinks that way, um, it would be much better for you to educate yourself and get some of the facts and the information, the mountain, the wealth, of, of really solid scientific information regarding UFOs and you will realize that it is a serious subject. There are serious people doing some serious work uh, on this issue and it is real and it is utterly fascinating. I could never understand why people, more people didn't think it was interesting. They would just 
scoff at it or laugh at it. When TTSA um, brought that, brought those videos forward in the New York Times, broke that article, uh, <laughs> I immediately went over to one of my neighbors and I told him, UFOs are real <laughs> and it's in the newspaper. <laughs> Uh, they're probably not that the so best cool. approach. <laughs> well, <laughs> they didn't think it was cool. They looked at me kind of weird and changed the subject. And that was the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, But I, I still it's, do that. I still tell people when news comes out, you know, when new news comes out, I still tell people, I give people the updates. My dad being one of them. And my dad's always been uh -huh. a ultra skeptic. He, he was a police officer for work for the sheriff's department. And uh, rose to the rank of commander, which is the second second highest position you could get without being elected. And so he's always been very pragmatic, very rigid thinking. Yes, you know. But mm -hmm. you know, smart dude, smart, smart dude. Right. And uh, the topic of UFOs, I wouldn't have even tried to talk to him about it ten years ago, not even five years ago. But uh, recently I've been telling him about my interest in it and he just kind of, you know, he doesn't really say much, but mm -hmm. I, I think he's, he's not shooting you down either. Exactly, right? exactly. He's not shooting me yeah. down. He's not making fun of me, but um, mm -hmm. that, that, like you said, man, it's it, times are changing and for the better, at least in this, for this particular topic, times are changing for the better. And yeah, it is an exciting so time to be to be involved in this. Um, so that brings me to uh, uh, the, a book that you just um, recently wrote and have been kind of making some rounds to to uh, do some lectures and talks about the book. Uh, it's a I haven't read the book yet, but I I'm going to get a copy as soon as I can. Um, it's called Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. A Beginner's Guide to Researching UFOs. And it sounds like a fascinating book. I've seen two lectures that you've given on the book. Um, and if uh, if you give me just a minute, I'll read a little excerpt. I think this might be the summary of the book. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is my buddy, Jason McClellan, wrote the uh, introduction. And he's so awesome, but he nails it right here. You're right. This quote's going to be good. <laughs> okay. So, um, unidentified objects are seen in the sky on a daily basis. These UFOs are investigated by governments around the world. Several private organizations research these anomalous aerial objects as well, as do countless individuals. This book provides an introduction to the fascinating world of UFOs and provides tips and advice for anybody curious about investigating unidentified aerial phenomena. And that is a great introduction. Okay, so the, the book itself is consists of, uh, uh, like it says, a beginner's guide to researching UFOs. Um, so I'm guessing that there's some information in there for beginning researchers that want to learn about it. Do you spotlight some of the interesting cases that you've investigated, or do you talk about historical cases or a little combination of both? Yeah, a little bit of both, really. Um, so the the concept I had was that, you know, uh, 
when I began my study, I had no direction. And with no direction, ufology is full of, you know, uh, I call it wheat and chaff in terms of the information. Wheat is the really good stuff and the chaff is the nonsense. And we've talked a little about the pop culture side and, you know, the YouTube stuff and, you know, the, the, the chaff and you have, you know, information that's, you know, pretty crazy. And then, then you have, you know, people that are, you can tell they're just trying to capitalize off the topic and things like that. But then there's really genuine, good, high quality information. And so the premise was I had to go down some rabbit holes and I had to, you know, wade through a bunch of chaff to find, find the wheat. And, and also I did, I didn't understand the big picture of, of, you know, of UFOs. And, and for me, whenever I study and learn, I, I got to start with the big picture and then drill down. Right. But I was forced to just start with the minutia and wade through it and try and figure this out. So um, one of the motivations for writing the book was look, because people aren't, you know, for the reasons we've talked about more people are interested, new, newly interested people. I wanted to help them, you know, go directly from A to B instead of having to go down those rabbit holes or wade through the chaff, you know? So I talk about, first of all, you know, the big picture, there's politics in it. There's, um, you know, the evidence that we kind of talked about. Um, and, and then I, I do cite, um, several what I call classic cases. And the, the reason I included them is because it, it will give a new person some context and some reference um, from a historical perspective and, and match it against what's happening now. And, and moreover, it will help them determine is, is what I'm reading crap or is what, I, what I'm reading, you know, fit the bill for good quality wheat-like information. So like, for example, uh, I cite maybe about 10 of the class, what I consider classic cases um, and I selected them because of their unique uh, quality of the evidence or the type of evidence that they have. So, for example, one, one case might have really strong uh, evidence from the perspective of who the witnesses were. Um, and, and that makes it really interesting. So, for example, I don't know if many people know, but many of the presidents have even had had encounters themselves. Uh, you know, Ronald Reagan had a couple. Um, Jimmy Carter, he, he's actually the first president to submit uh, a UFO report, for example. You know, that's pretty cool. Um, and then, and, and there's others. But again, so the notoriety of the person or their, um, you know, their background and, you know, their scientists or police officers or those things. So those kinds of cases, you know, are very appealing for that reason but then you have other cases that have amazing uh trace evidence like i had talked about before or other cases had great you know imagery photos or videos and and that kind of thing so i i selected these on that basis to give examples of what you know a credible you know case is and what it looks like and what features within it that should ring true to you versus some of the nonsense that, that we see out there. Great. And what has been the response so far? Um, 
it's been amazing. I mean, people have been super nice to me about this and very supportive about the book. Um, and, you know, just like, like, you know, I'm here now and, and, um, I so much appreciate it because again, for the book, it's not money about money to me. I, 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 I frankly, I don't need the money, but to me, it's, it's about helping, helping people, um, you know, to, to make their journey, you know, as high a quality journey as possible. And then, you know, I wrote it too, just kind of to have the, the legacy for my kids and grandkids and kind of a thing. And it was a way for me to kind of document what I've learned and kind of in, encapsulate it in, into one single source. So, um, I mean, I think I probably have some other books in me, but, but this was, was certainly my maiden voyage. And, and to me, that, that was really the motivation and um, what I hope it accomplishes. I hope it reaches people who really need it and, and can benefit from it. So with that in mind, where's the book available? How can people get it? Uh, it's on Amazon.com. You can just enter my name, S-H-A-N-E, Shane Hurd, H-U-R-D, or you can put in the title of the book. It's a bit longer, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena and a Beginner's Guide to Researching UFOs. And so it'll come up either way there. Okay. Well, I think I'll put a link in the show notes um, oh, okay. for this to Great. help people find it. And so it's yeah, on Amazon. Great. It's not, you, is it on, do you have a personal website? There, where people can no. directly uh, from. Well, it, it's on the Mufon, uh, Phoenix MUFON site and it's on Rogue Planet. Okay. Um, so a couple places. But yeah, I appreciate that. If, if you're able to do that, that's sure. terrific. Yeah, um, happy to do that. Uh, so the um, continuing on with the, the kind of the theme of the book about being investigating and also... Uh, increasing the the awareness of people um, who are interested in the topic. Uh, we've, we've brought up TTSA a couple of times and they seem to be, they, since they first came on the scene, probably 2017, late 2017, um, they made some pretty big waves with uh, the revelations that they brought forward. Um, most recently they developed a reporting and analysis system that has some pretty interesting implications. It's the vault, uh, which is a database of collections that they will both input directly and collect from people using their app, which is called the scout. The scout is a reporting app for anybody who has it that wants to report similar to going to the MUFON website and filling out the questionnaire. But I think this also allows you to capture video, capture and submit video and photos in addition to uh, your testimony. Yeah, it's, it's a terrific thing to do. Um, so MUFON's database is, you know, we have over 100,000 cases in the database that people can access. Uh, we probably have another 100,000 that were pre-internet, so they're paper, but they're being converted digitally now uh, through a project called Mars. 
Um, but in, in the course of a normal investigation, one of the things that we do is if a report is made, I check MUFON for other reports that happened on that date and time or within a couple of days of it and that were similar or not, you know, to see if you can link some of this stuff together. But we always also check NUFORC, which is uh, the National UFO Reporting Center by uh, Peter Davenport. And he, he doesn't investigate, but he does take reports. And so um, what I'm thinking with the vault is that it will be another source that I can check and uh, when when performing an investigation to see if there are other reports um, of, the, of the same activity, that would be awesome, right? If you had two or three reports of completely disconnected people reporting the same thing, you know, you, you really got something special there. Um, and so that to, to me, I'm excited for it as it will be another resource in, in my investigations. Um, also, I think, you know, the nature of the information that they have maybe maybe different so i could i could um imagine that maybe military people or intelligence people might report there uh or or feel more comfortable reporting there and so you, we might get just you know a different spin on things so yeah and to me the more information available to more people is a good thing right and and so uh you can you can put this information in databases where then it makes it usable. And so it isn't just a story, you know, like I think I mentioned earlier, like on the MUFON report, you have like two over 200 data points, um, you know, that, that are in the table in the database that you can search by and you can aggregate and you can look for patterns and that kind of thing. So any kind of, you know, quantitative or qualitative analysis that you want to do, um, you know, databases such as, as Vault, the Vault or New Fork or MUFON are incredibly useful and powerful. So again, just more available to more people is a great thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And the Scout app, uh, it seems like it's going to be, well, for one thing, it seems like it'll be hugely popular because it'll be easily downloadable to your, to your mobile device and everybody can have it and carry it around. Yeah, that's what's brilliant about it, right? Everybody's got a cell phone in their pocket now. And so you, you could have this, this reporting tool on your person at the moment that it happens. Now, of course, I will say, you know, a lot of people are like, why aren't there more videos and pictures of UFOs? Everyone has a cell phone. Because <laughs> believe it or not, and it's even happened to me, when you're looking at something like that, your, your brain doesn't work that way. You're, you're so mesmerized by what you're seeing. You just, you just don't do it. Or if you do it, uh, it, it doesn't last long enough to get a good picture or, you know, low light conditions, you get, you know, poor camera quality and things like that. So I know a lot of the debunkers are always throwing that kind of out there that, well, why aren't there more pictures? Well, you know what? I, tell you what you get me a picture of a pink corvette driving backwards down a main street at 70 miles an hour with no notice <laughs> you know and we and we know pink corvettes exist and that they can go backwards and they drive on the street you already know all that you know nothing about a ufo right so you know what i'm saying it, it just it th those are ridiculous arguments i agree i i totally agree i'm a photographer um uh, amateur photographer, but it's something that I do quite a bit. Uh, and i just give you a really quick story. I was on my roof with my camera in hand and 
the Thunderbirds were flying over Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. You, you probably heard about this in the news recently. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they flew past uh, the house, and I wasn't quite ready, and they went out to Boulder City. I thought I had maybe a minute. No, I was totally wrong. <laughs> they came back within 10, <laughs> 10, 15 seconds, and they were blown by me. They didn't slow down to say hi. They didn't, they didn't no. put the brakes on. <laughs> no, they flew past <laughs> they me didn't at cover. <laughs> 500 or 700 miles an hour, however fast they were going. It looked like they were close enough to reach out and touch because, honestly, I was I was on the top of my roof. And Ooh, that's cool. Yeah, it was cool. I got some cool pictures, but I almost missed them. I only got like two or three good pictures because if you're not ready for those – I mean, if you're not like camera at the ready and expecting it and almost have to know where it's at, you're not going to catch a good picture. And, and the way those things move around, that's uh, the the UFOs. I mean, the way those UFOs move around, I, I can't even imagine trying to shoot one, uh, you know, shoot a picture of one. Um, so yeah, anybody, anytime I hear that argument, I, I throw it out, but that's, you know, I have experience with photography, so I'm, I, I, I don't consider those arguments valid. Um, but people will find whatever they can to argue their point, and their, their goal is to be right. They don't care if they're factual or if they sound idiotic. They just want to be right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Win the argument. Yeah, yeah, exactly. At all costs. Um, now, I, I agree with you, uh, and it, well, it sounds like we agree on the um, the efforts that TTSA is putting forth have been, for the most part, positive for this field of study. Mm-hmm. Um, and since two thousand seventeen. Do you think that the awareness, um, do you think that the public awareness of this phenomena has increased? Yeah, yeah. I think for, for um, look, never before has there been, um, you know, treatment of the UFO phenomena in a, a serious and positive way. I mean, not, not since the fifth, early 50s, late 40s. And what they've accomplished, I think, is very positive. Uh, they, you know, they got some videos declassified. You know, every aircraft, uh, fighter aircraft, when they're flying, they have a camera rolling. Can you imagine the, the thousands and thousands of uh, gun camera footage videos with UFOs that must be buried somewhere? Because, um, you know, you, we've got decades of that. Um, and they actually, this is the first time any were ever released. And so that, that is amazing there. And also um, the fact they got it in the mainstream media and it was handled in a serious way. And then, and now they're even accomplishing something that really hasn't happened since 1967. And that's got congressional attention on it that it, that is serious. And, and so um, 
we've been trying to move that needle for 70 years and, and it just hadn't happened in, uh, until now. So I give them, you know, kudos for that. And I know there's criticism of it and suspicion of them. And, you know, a lot of this company is made up of, you know, CIA guys and other intelligence community guys. And, um, you know, and that, that, that raises red flags for people. And I, I definitely get that. However, I, I just, I have to say, look at, look at what's been accomplished. And um, it's something that we as civilian UFO investigators have not been able to get happen all this time. So I, I think they do deserve some credit that way. And we'll see what happens in the future. Um, but I, I think, as you mentioned earlier, we are definitely taking steps in the right direction. Absolutely. Yeah. And as more and more of this information comes out, and I, you know it's going to because TTSA is not backing off. They they have an agenda, and their agenda is disclosure. Um, where do you think that's going to go as far as our society? What, what how do you think people are going to react? Yeah, that that's a great great question, and that's a, a hot topic in ufology. This this disclosure with a capital D. And um, I will say, actually, I had written some articles before about it. And the comment I'd made then was that, you know, disclosure has already happened. We, we, there are so many government documents and so many whistleblowers and military personnel and everybody who's saying, you know, this stuff's real. And, and, and this has been going on a long time, but, you know, it's just not provable. You know, and that, that's the, the painful part. But now we've got, you know, some provable stuff out there. And so when that gets in the public domain, then you, you've got to do something with it. Our leaders have to do something with it. And so um, there, there's a bill in, in Congress now. I think Senator Marco Rubio put it forth that is uh, going to require uh, reporting, I think maybe it's an annual report on uh, UFO investigations uh, from the, the DOD and that they want that report to be unclassified, although it can have uh, a classified attachment to it. But the obvious reason is so that it can be available for public consumption. And so um, that that's just an amazing accomplishment. Now, will it lead to anything I, I don't know. I mean, I'm skeptical because of the past 70 years and, and the government has, has, you know, just told bold faced lies. They have obfuscated, they have sowed seeds of disinformation and misinformation. They have, you know, uh, intelligence agents that go out and jack with and mess around with UFO investigators and researchers. And, and th there's, that's a long provable history of that. That's well documented. And so, you know, I, I just don't think they, you know, came to Jesus for no reason all of a sudden. They're, they're, you know, they're, there's something going on that is different. I don't know what it is. Um, Louis Elizondo had kind of alluded to the fact that, you know, there, there are people in government that do know about UFOs, but they seem to be in two camps. One camp is, hey, we don't want to disclose this. It's too scary for people. And then the other camp is, no, this is not too scary for people, and they have a right to know. And so there's, there's an internal war and a 
tugging back and forth and and that I think that's playing out before our very eyes and so we're, we're seeing some movement because of the TTSA and who, who those members are um, being you know Chris Mellon former assistant secretary defense secretary and Lou Elizondo a DOD guy who ran the ATIP program and and you know Steve Justice and and um, Semivan and just, uh, all these, you know, really high-level CIA skunk works uh, intelligence people involved, and and no doubt this is, you know, how some of this information has got pried loose. But um, you know, some people are suspicious of that. But I, I guess my feeling is, look at the evidence, look what's what's been accomplished, and and um, you know, there are definitely some positives there. Like you said, I agree that disclosure has already happened or it's continuing to happen. It's not a, it's not a big data dump. It's a slow drip of information um, that's going to continue. Part of it, and I think part of the reason is not so much can the public handle it or, you know, is it going to freak out and collapse the, the, the government or collapse the church or, you know, I, I don't think that is so much what the problem is. I think the problem is the government doesn't know what they're dealing with and they don't want to look like a bunch of, uh, they don't want to look like a bunch of idiots, you know, not knowing what they're dealing with and not being able to protect the public from this phenomena. They just don't want to look like fools. Yeah, and I think that's probably legitimate. I mean, who who would want to? And and you know, and I think that's definitely one of one of the reasons. And and who, who knows what what various reasons there could be? What the real reasons are? I don't know. But yeah, I think I think you're right. We are being acclimated. Um, you know, sort of a drip feed, and and you know, something happens and it gets out there, and we kind of buzz about a little bit, and then we get used to it, and then you know, settles down and then, then something else comes out and repeat, you know, and I think, you know, over a long enough period of time, it will acclimate people. And as I mentioned earlier, I mean, now with, with people's frame of mind, the taboo sort of being lifted and, and, you know, having some of these institutions lose their grip on everyone's thinking and behavior, uh, this, this provides an environment where the, this stuff is, is going to come out more and more. And eventually there will be a full, you know, a full disclosure. Uh, I, I think a lot of people are throwing the term now confirmation as opposed to dis disclosure. So this drip feeding is really confirmation of what we all know. We just can't prove or, or are waiting for the government to admit to. <laughs> That's interesting. I haven't, hadn't heard that, but yeah, that makes sense. So your presentation that I saw the other day uh, when you were on uh, Alejandro Rojas's Open Minds TV, uh, you talked about the um, a paper that was written called Sovereignty and the UFO by Alexander Wendt and uh, Raymond Duvall. And uh, would you would you just talk a little bit about that paper because that was a, a it was an angle that I had never considered. And it goes back to what we were talking about, why the government would keep this concealed from the public. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm an absolute geek over that, that paper. And um, in fact, I include uh, a whole chapter of my book talking about the political science of, of ufology, which I'd never even knew there was one, you know, until, until I came across that, that paper. And it was just unbelievable. It blew my mind because I mean, part of it is, you know, these guys, they're not UFO guys. These are political scientists from, from university universities that took up the topic and explored it and, and put it, put ufology in the context of political science. So that's sort of the premise of it, but I, you know, without getting too deep, because this is so deep and I mean, it, it's incredible, but, um, and I highly recommend people reading it. I mean, it's a little, you know, it's, it's pretty intellectual and it's, it's academic, but um, they really make some salient points and it, it's, it's really well done. But the concept is this basically that two things. One is human beings. Um, we are trapped by our um, own anthropocentrism and anthropocentrism really is, is look, we, um, we are human centric. We, we see things as humans. We interpret things as humans. We imagine things as human. In other words, our mind and our hearts and our emotions and our spiritual side and all those things make us up and we view the world through that lens. And it's Im nearly impossible for us to see it any other way. So in other words, for example, you know, we we can conceive of th you know aliens for example but all of our speculation things we've talked about tonight you know uh all of that is from our point of view but you know who's to say let's say on a physical basis do they have eyes and ears and noses do they are they even carbon based are they you know but we project what we think onto the phenomena but we can't help it because that's all we got and that's what we do. Um, so anthropocentrism is, centrism is one of the things that we deal with and that can obscure things from us just because that's all we can see. So that, that's one thing. Um, but the second thing, and this is more related to the governments is I'll just refer to one little statement they made in there. They said, if, uh, if a, a, a power or a force or a, an individual, let's say aliens came here and presented themselves to us and all the people of the earth, everybody was aware of it. And they even likened it to like maybe the second coming of Christ. And if you came here in person or, or whatever, who would the people follow this superior being or the nations of the earth. You see what people would recognize is, oh, the nations don't have the power. They don't have, you know, the, the ability to rule us. Uh, and now they don't even have the right to rule us because there's this more sovereign or, or powerful, powerful being. And so the, the concept of a UFO and those who pilot them or from where they originated is a, uh, is a power greater than, than any government on earth. And so it is an existential threat to the sovereignty of every nation on earth. 
This is one of their motivations. This, they are a threat. And it, a lot of people talk about the threat of UFOs, but I think they're missing the point or they're, they're only seeing the obvious threat. Oh, their technology could subdue us, right? You know, they're, they're, they could blow our planes out of the air or whatever. Okay, yeah, there's that part of it, but it's much deeper, much greater than that. It, it is an existential threat to their rulership, to their sovereignty, for their, their right and their role to do that. And they're not too keen on giving that up, right? I mean, a lot of people are super opposed to like a global rulership, right? That, and, and the reason is, is every nation likes to have its power and its, you know, its money and its, its rulership over people and, and all of those things. And they're not going to give that up very easy, right? So um, that, that's really the underlying issue, you know, according to uh, Wenton Duval. Um, and they go into a lot greater detail and a lot greater examples and all this stuff. But I, I was so fascinated with that because I have always wondered, you know, governments are made up of people, human beings, right? They have religions, they have families, they have, you know, likes and dislikes and, you know, some like sports and some like race cars and some, you know, like whatever, right? They're, they're human beings. We're all human beings. And all human beings wonder things like, why are we here? Who are we? What does the future hold for us? You know, are there others out there? If there are others out there, what are they like? I mean, these are questions everybody asks. Why is it that they disregard the very thing, the most important questions to a human being, and they, they just dismiss it, they tamp it down, they sweep it under, do every, why? Self-preservation. That's right. We're, we're, we, <laughs> we're survivors, right? This is what we all do. But as a government, that's, that's exactly the motivation. And, and so I, I'm in agreement with that theory. And I think there's more to it that, than that. And there are other factors. But if you wanted to boil it down to you know, the, the most base cause, I think that's what it is, a threat to their rulership. And they don't want to lose it. It was the first time that I had heard that theory presented. And the way you put it uh, into words was, it just made so much sense. It just made so much sense. Because why, why would the government try to conceal this for so many years? Well, what we've always heard was because it would collapse the church. Society would crumble. But what they, what you don't hear is that it, it's actually it and the, as far as these things being a threat well they are a threat but they're they may not be a threat to the public at large you know they may be they may be threatening to individuals on a on a like an individual basis the the people that are getting abducted i don't think that's a um you know, I don't think that's always a positive experience, but, um, but, but that's not a global threat, but the threat to the government, the rule of the government, that's a serious threat. And yes, sure. I could see why they would suppress that now. It just makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, so with that, with that in mind, with that theory at the forefront of your mind and this bill that's 
coming up in Congress. What, what do you, what, that, that's kind of a, kind of a uh, juxtaposition, right? I mean, if the government's trying to protect themselves, why are they putting forward this bill to bring more information out to the public? Yeah, no, that's a good, good question. And, and I think that, you know, some of it has to do with just the, 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 I think that internal war and you had people who are more traditional, who are religious, who are, you know, old school, whatever, you know, us boomers, whatever it is that a, a don't like change and they don't, they, you know, they, I mean, think about if they, there's probably most of the people who probably launched this secret effort of the government to keep this issue sec, uh, secret in the forties or whatever are, are dead now, you know, they're, they're, they aged out, but they had, you know, subsequent generations of people who obviously take, taken up that torch and, you know, generationally, I think that that explains why that institution has, has continued, um, because of the way the people think, but also just cause that's their job, right? They're dedicated, you know, career government, people and this is their duty and, and they're going to carry it out. So I think there's some of that. But on the other hand, I think there's a lot of people who are saying, look, this, you know, this is not necessary. Um, you know, the world won't collapse, you know, oil's on its way out anyway, for example. Uh, I mean, we're going to face some paradigm shifts. Uh, we're doing it right now. I mean, look, look at this, you know, we have a, we have a global economy now. And we're, you know, suffering through that process of, of changing over and, you know, it has some positive and it has some negatives, but the world still spins. The sun comes up every day. And even under this threat of COVID that we have and, and you know, and some of the other things, I mean, we, we can sustain this kind of stuff. I mean, look at what would have been like to be alive in World War One or World War Two? You know, you'd think the world was coming to an end. It didn't. It was, you know, caused significant change and significant pain, but we're still here. And I think that the same is going to happen. You know, will some people freak out? Yes. Will some other people not freak out? Yes. And will there be a ripple through the world? Yes, there will. But, you know, it's sustainable. We We can do it and manage it. So, I, you know, I, that's my, again, that's just the world according to Shane's. Hey, it's, it's a valid point. It's perfectly reasonable. It's well articulated. It makes a lot of sense. However, I, I have a, I have a counter theory if you're interested. Oh yeah, go for it. So <laughs> we know that politicians are interested in maintaining their position. That's their, their primary motivation, in my opinion. They, uh, they're constantly running for re-election. They're so busy that they don't really have time to think about much other than the, the task at hand, whatever they're faced with at that moment. So looking at the long game, they know that this wave is coming and there are a few that are farsighted enough to realize that now is the opportunity to roll the dice, 
try to get out ahead of this and maintain some level of good guy status so that when the wave hits, we're, we're the ones that people are going to look to and realize these are the people that told us it was coming. These are the people that were trying to be forthright with us. So we're still going to look to them for leadership. What do you think about that theory? Oh, I think you're dead on. Yeah, there, I think there's no doubt about that. I mean, that's the, that's the, the MO of, of any politician, do whatever it takes to, you know, stay, stay in office. And, and, you know, I'm not going to cast aspersions on their, on their, their, you know, motives per se, but I mean, that's certainly a factor in every politician's life. And, and I agree with you. One of the, one of the common concerns out there is that, you know, would people um, be angry at them? It's say, say it's all exposed and would they, people be angry at them for not telling them sooner and hold them accountable in some way. So I think you're right. Getting, getting on the other side of the story that, Hey, we, we, we kept a secret for, you know, to protect you, but you know, now we think is a time and, you know, we want to let you know, and, you know, again, peer, peer like the good guy. And, you know, we were just helping you and, and protecting you, but now, now is the time to let everyone know. I mean, I could easily see that. Yeah. And whatever their motivation is, if they're giving us the information that's going to help us, to be more aware of, of what's going on. I think that, see, I, I have this uh, idea. I'm starting to, to formulate this hypothesis that's still in the baby stages, but it, it seems to me like this, this level of consciousness is starting to, to uh, uh, I don't know, evolve into another level almost. The, our, our consciousness as a whole, as a species, globally, is starting to is starting to level up. If you you know, if you're into gaming, if you if you know how gaming works, um, people go yeah. through levels. It's, it almost right. seems like our our collective consciousness is starting to level up because of this disclosure, and the more disclosure that mm-hmm. that becomes available the more aware we're going to be to, to what the world, like I said, is still in the beginning stages of a hypothesis. And it might sound too wacky, too far out there, but. No, I was going to say, actually, that, that is a, a more and more popular theme within ufology is consciousness. And, um, you know, clearly, clearly, Things are changing. I mean, even not not within ufology and stuff, but just look, people are are um, you know they are are rising up against the status quo. Whether that status quo, like I mentioned earlier, with ancient aliens, is you know challenging orthodoxy, archaeology, you know, or challenging a government's form of rulership or a certain ruler or or you know the environment, uh, just. All, all of these things, people are, you know, really thinking differently than, than in the past. And, and is that consciousness at work? I, I don't know. I, I, that, that's a topic I need to educate myself on a bit more, but I do, I do think that, that, 
there is something to that. And, and, um, you know, uh, again, one has to be open-minded because we don't know much. <laughs> I mean, we do, but we don't, you know what I'm saying? So I would never discount any kind of theory like that or any theory because, you know, we just don't know. I'll have to flesh that out a little bit more because it's, it's something that I, I keep hearing this consciousness. I keep hearing the word consciousness over and over. Yep. And then the other word that I've been hearing a lot of is synchronicity. And like, man, is there some kind of synchronicity happening with me around this word consciousness? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that is, that's interesting. Well, you know who you should look, look into about it is Grant Cameron. He's, he really talks a lot about consciousness. And I think he's got a recent book out called Magic or something like that. But um, he really delves into it. In fact, that's on my, my readers list as well. That's where I'm going to start in my education on that topic. I'll take a look at that. So I'm going to, uh, if, if that's okay with you, I'm going to take a step back a little bit and go back to your presentation that uh, I saw on um, Open Minds TV the other day. And one of the things that you covered, and I think you also cover this in your book, is the topic of UFOs and nukes. So I had previously known about the Malmstrom incident, which is, uh, I, I don't know how well known it is, but it seems to me that this, this whole nukes and UFOs area of the, even within ufology, it seems like it's kind of suppressed or it's not, there, there's not a lot of attention given to it, but um, you mentioned in your presentation, you re mentioned Robert Hastings' work. Um, I did my my last podcast episode. I did a uh, I did a little clip about the Malmstrom incident. I detailed the Malmstrom incident and the uh, the book that Robert Solis had written about that incident. And that was, you know, I had heard about a couple of other uh, incidents, but after discovering uh, Robert Hastings' work, I didn't realize how prevalent this connection between UFOs and nuclear weapons around the world, not just within the U.S., but in Russia and other countries that have nuclear weapons. Um, so... A lot of this stuff was was historical. You know, it, it started, I believe it started in the 40s with the um, development of the nuclear weapon. And, but is there any more recent incidents, like within the last 10, 20 years, that are, are lesser known that you're aware of? Well, certainly there's, uh, I, I guess uh, in uh, Robert's uh, presentation, he talks about a second incident at Malmstrom in 2012. And so I, th I, I had not heard of that myself. I haven't researched it deeply, but I was surprised by that. But, but I, let, let's just consider, for example, the TTSA stuff, the Go Fast video and the Gimbal video and the Tic Tac video. The Tic Tac video, gun camera footage of a, of a UFO was taken in 2004 off the coast of California. Uh, 
with a, a workup. It's called a workup. It's basically war games prior to being deployed in, in a theater of war. Uh, this carrier group for, for the Nimitz were, were doing these workups about 100 miles off the coast of San Diego-ish. And um, this, this Tic Tac was, in, there were literally hundreds of them over a three week period that had, that had engaged uh, the, the carrier group. And it, it's a nuclear powered aircraft carrier. And they likely have, you know, submarines with nuclear weapons on them as part of that group, that workup. So um, there's no way you can dismiss that as one of the factors um, that, that ha uh, these, these UFOs seem to have a curiosity about or monitoring or whatever their motivation is. And then... The other two videos were actually taken off the East Coast, off the coast of Virginia. And this was the, the Roosevelt, also nuclear aircraft carrier. And uh, they, they also had quite a bit of activity during their workups prior to being uh, sent, sent to the Gulf. And then they followed them and they appeared in the, in the Gulf around the, the carrier group as well. And again, one just has to think there has to be a connection. And then in addition to that, there are countless cases where UFOs are, are found right over the top of nuclear generation plants. Um, and of course, you know, that, that creates quite a bit of stir when that happens. Um, and, and, and then Maelstrom was not the only uh, ICBM uh, base that had had an incursion by a UFO. There's another one in South Dakota, Minot. Yeah, Minot Air Force Base as well. So um, it's pretty clear that the UFOs are certainly interested in all things military and all things nuclear. And that that has been the case, as you mentioned, all the way from, you know, the 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 first bomb. And in fact, a lot of people don't connect the dot here on this but even the roswell incident that was around uh very near los alamos uh nuclear labs and a lot of the you know the roswell itself the i think it's the 509th bomber group was the group that had uh the enola gay in the bomb that 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 they dropped on, on hiroshima and so it was the the world's only you know nuclear uh base and, and there were UFOs on that thing constantly. And, and not just the Roswell case, but there were, you know, countless sightings, White Sands, for example, which is, is not far. So th this is, there is a long history of this interaction in, in all things nuclear. And so I th think that is very fascinating. And a lot of people think it has to do with, you know, their concern that we're going to blow ourselves up or ruin the planet, for example, or others think it might be just, you know, monitoring our, our progress and development and our military capabilities, or they don't want us going out to space and taking our nukes out there and, you know, wreaking havoc on anyone else. So, I mean, there's just a lot of theories behind it. I don't know what they are. I don't know if these guys are scientists studying us or if they're military scouting us or something entirely different that's my anthropocentrism talking <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but um you know th there's no doubt about it it's well documented and robert did a fantastic job 
focusing on this aspect and compiling everything both in his book and in his movie and again it's something i highly recommend it's just you know right on target boy that 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 guy nailed it and it's really good stuff yeah he has a ton of data and <clears throat> it's going to take me a couple of weeks to to sift through all of that but uh hey it's something that i'm enjoying doing one of the things that uh kind of surprised me i guess in in researching his work was how many incidents have occurred over in the soviet union now i don't I don't know if they're still going on in in modern day russia possibly most likely they are but during the soviet era they had several incidents uh are you familiar with any of those uh, yeah, um, there's a really great researcher. His name's uh, Paul Stonehill, and he's from the Soviet Union, but he's in the U.S. now. And he uh, he profiles a lot of the information and gets case data that that you know, frankly, is hard to come by. So, I mean, even though it's it's not the Soviet Union anymore, it's still Russia, and you know, there's just not the freedoms to access information like you have here. So he's been a really great resource in bringing some of that case data uh, to us. And, and really the conclusion is that their experience is, is the same as ours. They're, they're everything that we're experiencing that they're experiencing. Um, and as far as nuclear specific, I am not familiar with any Soviet cases. I'm certain that they're there. Um, there is one case that does freak me a out a little bit. Um, and it's it's called um, oh gosh it's really ridiculous, it's called Heights Six One One. It's basically that's the name for this mountain, <laughs> Height Six One One. Um, and this mountain, at, at any rate, witnesses saw this big orange uh, globe-like light um, moving across the the uh, the area just at like, you know, maybe seven, 800 meters off the ground, only like 30, 40 miles an hour. It was kind of slow. And some of them interpreted that it was crashing, others landing. But at any rate, it, it did touch down, caused some kind of a fire. Um, people went to, to approach it, investigate it. it. It left, it was gone. And, but it had left some really weird stuff on the ground, like um, little balls of lead and little black kind of glass looking black glass balls uh you know maybe the size of bb's or a little bit larger kind of a thing and um you know an investigation was conducted and they had some different theories but in, in the end uh, all they could say is look that was that was a ufo and they they did get some physical evidence and and then i heard that the um those little black balls, they were studying them. They're super, super interesting. Well, in one case, they actually disappeared and re reappeared like in the palm of someone's hand. You know, uh, there were some really strange properties to, to those black beads. And I thought what was interesting is they, they, they did a, you know, an analysis of what it was made of. And it had, you know, lead and a couple other things, but it had bismuth in it. And what I find interesting about that is there is a piece of recovered crashed UFO material that is being studied right now uh, that is sort of lo looks like a, 
you know, an inch thick of a wafer uh, of, of material. Well, one of, one of the components of it is bismuth and it's layered with some other things that you don't, they can't, you can't explain how those are layered together. It looks like nanoparticles and things like that. But this this piece was in the possession of of someone 35 years ago. So it clearly wasn't man-made, at least the nanoparticle, you know, concept. And their their analysis are kind of narrowing in on it. Like it it um, may have had to been manufactured in zero gravity and some weird stuff like that. So I mean, I think that that is that that chunk of evidence here is being analyzed now. I think it's in the Atom project uh, with the TTSA or, or the, the army is looking at that, but I know that was in the possession of uh, Linda Moulton Howe and she, she provided it to them for, for that analysis and study. But to me, again, it's just a weird little commonality that this material demonstrated very weird properties and this UFO material both contains that that element of, of bismuth so i don't know it's just all that stuff's super fascinating but i th i think the takeaway is is that this is a global phenomenon this isn't the us you know and the other countries are very active and open about this brazil and france uh they're both very open france has a a division of the equivalent of their nasa called gaipan um that they 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 study UFOs in, in those cases openly. It's their NASA doing it. And they produced a report in 99 called the Cometa Report, C-O-M-E-T-A, about their analysis of some of their uh, classic cases and, and what their conclusion was. And they, they said that the ETH um, uh, or the hypothesis of, of you know extraterrestrials was a, a the most likely explanation for their cases so i mean it's just interesting it, it's it's everywhere it's not just us and and you know that that's uh, on the one hand logical but also a little frightening and and <laughs> um you know it just seems like pretty soon some way or another this cat's gonna get out of the bag right yeah and one seems to be getting out um, but for, um, for nukes specifically, why do you think that the, even within the UFO community, this, this area of study is not more prevalent? How come more people aren't looking into this? Yeah, good question. I, I don't know if, if it's just that, you know, Robert had done such a good job that there's not much left more to say about it, or if it's, uh, so there's some ambiguity there that, that just prevents people from taking it further, or I, um, or, or I think maybe it's just the nature of, let's say like with, uh, you know, social media, for example, there's so much to talk about and there, you know, ufology is just so broad that, um, you know, you, you, they're just not a lot of attention given on any one thing other than whatever's the flavor of the week. Right. You know, like right now it is, it's all about TTSA. <laughs> so I think maybe the community swings that way back and forth a little bit, depending on, on the actual issues. UFOs have been around. We don't know for how long probably millennia but yep only in the last 75 years since we've developed a nuclear weapon has it been such a global 
awareness of it. Do you agree mm-hmm. with that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think so. There's, so. There's, and and yeah. the fact that I didn't realize, you know, I didn't, I didn't make the connection that the Nimitz incident would have been, could be classified as a nuclear UFO connection or connected incident. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, mm-hmm. there's way more to this, this piece of the puzzle than I think what most people realize. Yeah. I, yeah. And I think it's worth a deep dive. Well, that's, that's one of the things that I'm interested in and Robert Hastings work has really built a strong foundation. I agree with you that his work has been so, so flawless that it's, it's really hard to add to that, but that's an area that I think, I, I think if we can crack that piece of the puzzle, I think that'll open up some, some really interesting implications. Yeah. I mean, it might suggest motive, you know, the, the why that I was talking about earlier. That's true. I mean, it, or one, or one of the whys, I mean, it's more complicated than that, but yeah, absolutely. There, there is a lot of speculation out there about the why right now. And some of it is a little bit hard to, to wrap my head around. So I, I try not to really look at, the the why of things but uh it's hard not to man yeah i mean that's the ultimate question so yeah we we you know ponder it and it and it's fun and interesting and we should discuss it and you know although we need to make sure that everyone knows it's in the realm of opinion and theory and speculation but there's nothing wrong with that i mean that's how ideas move forward okay then is there is there anything else you'd like to talk about that maybe we hadn't touched on yet no, I, I mean, I think uh, we, we've gone through some really important issues and some of the big picture issues and, and some of the specifics I think will really help people. And, and ho- hopefully some of what we've talked about is, has, you know, touched some people. And one, one of the things I, I do want to say is, you know, I mentioned kind of earlier that the, the generation that started this, this kind of investigation and research and and stuff that they're you know near near the end and we need the next generation uh of people to you know get educated and pick up this mantle and and you know attack this thing because you know we don't want to let it die especially with the progress that we've made of late and so that that's what i'm trying to do is encourage younger people and you know just anyone who's interested to get involved in and look at it because, um, you know, we could use the help, frankly, you can't have too many investigators, too many researchers. Again, you know, I, I liken ufology to like a, a, a buffet. I mean, there's a hundred different ways you could go in this. And it, in fact, when I, I made my decision to join MUFON, it was because I said, what am I going to, what am I going to do? I can't, learn, know, and be involved in everything from crop circles to abductions, to investigations, to research, to, you know, consciousness. And there's a million things. And I I said, I thought to myself, well, pick a lane, pick a lane, stick to that lane, be aware of everything else, but get really good at that one thing. And, and because I was, like I said, a 20 year government employee and you know, I, I've thrived in those environments and, you know, found success there. And I thought, well, MUFON was a, you know, an organizational structure 
structure and, you know, it's something I could fit in and thrive in. And so I chose that to be my lane, but you know, there are many other lanes. So if it like, just like you, you're interested in the nuclear your aspect and somebody else might be more interested in, you know, the abductions and stuff, there's room for everybody, I guess what I'm saying. And we need people to be involved and and again this next generation to do it and so come on join us <laughs> excellent excellent I, I i totally forgot about crop circles and there's no proof that those are connected to ufos but where else do those things come from i don't think that humans are making all of them no no it would be physically impossible the number of them the location and and, and uh, some of them ha have been observed to appear, you know, within hours or minutes. And so, I I I I would like to deep dive on, on crop circles. I've not ha had the time yet, but there's been some really great research, and people have really moved that that study forward as well. And and again, if we can get you know science in on it, uh, you know, I think we can really make some progress there, but, but that's it. That that's the thing. There's just so much fascinating and interesting aspects to this that, you know, just because one thing doesn't appeal to you, doesn't mean there's not going to be something else that does. So I encourage people to just check it out, look into it. And I'll be glad to help anybody. Uh, now I'll give you my email and stuff and you, you can get a hold of me and I will help you out. Well, with that in mind, uh, what, why don't you, let people know how they can connect with you on the internet. Yeah. So, um, I can be reached, um, my email Shane S H A N E at Phoenix, uh, P H O E N I X MUFON M U F O N.com. Um, I am, my other email address is herd ranch H U R D R A N C H at AOL.com. And then you could also even message me on, um, rogue planet tv and in the contact uh contact uh tab you know you can reach me there as well and um i think that's a that's about it uh facebook i'm a big facebooker so you know check me out there i'll friend you and we can have some nice discussions too and is there anything else that you're working on that people could keep a keep an eye out for do you have any upcoming speaking engagements or anything like that yeah, this Sunday I'll be speaking um, through Zoom to uh, Southern California MUFON. They they had invited me. Um, Jeff Krause is the director, assistant director, um, Earl Gray, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that. And I I do have a presentation sort of based on on my book that I, I'm rolling out now. And uh, I think you mentioned you you had seen uh, I've given it once or twice uh, prior, so. Um, that's kind of keeping me busy and, you know, I'll kind of ride this wave for a while. And then, like I said, uh, I, I involved with rogue planet and we have some projects, uh, upcoming that we're going to look at some documentary stuff, uh, making some documentaries and, uh, some television programs and some, some other th cool things that, um, you know, come up now and then they don't always turn into something, but sooner or later, I'd say that it will. So I'm really looking forward to that. And of course, uh, conferences, those are on hold because of COVID, but the MUFON has a symposium each year, a three-day conference, and then another big one 
is uh, called the UFO Congress, the International UFO Congress. Um, and that is generally held in Phoenix. And they're going to do a, this year because of COVID, they're going to do an online uh, streaming version, which still should be great. But uh, I, I, I highly recommend attending a conference if you can. It really, it, it's so cool. The people are so cool. That, I mean, that's what it's about. The people are really cool. And you get a mix with people who, you know, are like-minded and so forth. And, and um, you know, you get a lot of camaraderie going. And it's just, it's so fun. And then you do learn some really cool stuff. And, and they have great vendors and, you know, food and just, you know, the, you know, staying in a hotel and just all that experience just makes it absolutely a great time. So uh, if you ever have that opportunity, I highly recommend it. So in this, this September MUFON symposium, I think it's like the 24th, 5th, 6th, 7th, someone there and there of September is going to be held in Las Vegas. Um, I'm really hoping that, that it happens. Uh, if not, they'll go, you know, purely streaming on it, but uh, I would love to be able to attend the live conference. It'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks for spending some time with me tonight, Shane. I really appreciate you taking so much, being so generous with your time and sharing so much of your knowledge with us. Oh, thanks a bunch for inviting me. It's been an absolute pleasure and a ball. So uh, th thanks again, Andrew. Really, it's been great. Sounds great to me. Thank you, Shane. Have a good night, okay. man. I'll, I'll let you go now. Yeah. Okay. Sounds great. You too. Take care, buddy. All right. You too. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Dead Hand Radio is a podcast about the Cold War, its history, and the effects it had on our culture, technology, and the future of our world. My goal is to examine these and other topics and guide listeners and guests of the show on a journey of mind-expanding contemplation to learn, to educate, to entertain, and exchange ideas with those interested. So join me and together we'll explore a fascinating period of history and examine some incredible advancements in weapons, technology, science, art, and culture and discuss how all of it relates to the future of our world. If you or someone you know has knowledge about the Cold War or any other topics we discuss on this program, please get in touch and let's talk. It could be a great conversation for a future episode, and I'm especially interested to talk with anyone who has first-hand knowledge of these topics. If you have questions or comments, drop me an email or visit deadhandradio.com. You can also find me on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Dead Hand Radio is part of the SIP Network a group of high-energy, positive-minded individuals providing a resource for listeners with a variety of podcasts from entertainment and education to motivation and inspiration for your daily routine. Visit sipnet.us and learn more about these excellent podcasts. I'm Andrew Hall, and this is Dead Hand Radio. Thanks for listening. <music>